The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with looking to keep a good thing going. Stocks trying to extend last week's gains as Goldman Sachs gets a bit more bullish on stocks. We're going to tell you why in just a moment. Oil, however, moving in an opposite direction as Saudi Arabia's energy minister defends his country's recent production cuts and hence there could be more to come. Then, signed, sealed, and delivered. UBS closing its deal with Credit Suisse almost on schedule, but reports this morning the new investment bank is taking things slow, at least to start. Plus, hitting an all-time high. Oracle reports earnings after the close today in what could be the cheapest AI play that's out there today. Then later on in the show, more troubles out west as labor issues force one port to shut down operations. It's Monday, June the 12th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Looking at them right now, green across the board. The Nasdaq actually doing the best, up over a half a percent. Something to watch. Oracle, we just mentioned a minute ago, trading at all-time highs, moving this index higher in the pre-market. Those shares up almost 3%. This after a winning week for the major averages that saw the S&P close higher for a fourth week in a row. It's longest such win streak since 2022. It also hit its highest level since August. You're seeing right here, that's back. Uh, this is how it was peaked during the week. Very strong week for the uh, S&P overall. Looking at the pre-market up as well. The Nasdaq also coming off a big week, up seven weeks straight. It's longest such win streak since 2019. Also hitting highs not seen since April of 2022. You're seeing the strong upside move here when it comes to the NASDAQ as well. We also look at the bond market every morning, as we always do. Let's begin with the benchmark 10-year right now, 3.75 up, 15, 20 basis points from where it started the month as we continue to move towards that Fed decision coming up. We're going to talk much more about that in the show. Elevated yields when it comes to the shorter end of the curve, 4.6 for the two-year. We're also looking at energy, oil extending last week's losses right now. We're under a, lot of, uh, under a lot of pressure. WTI is 68 bucks a barrel and basically 30 cents, down 2.5%. Brent crude just over 73 bucks a barrel, down 2%. Um, a lot of pressure on the oil market. We will talk much more about energy coming up later in the show. We have exclusive sound from the Saudi Ener- energy minister on the sector's price pressures. All right, now for a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, she's standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Juliana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, we're off to a strong start for the week. Every major region in Europe is trading higher. You've got more than 1% of gains for the Zetra DAX this morning, leading the charge. Worth noting that last week we saw the European market underperformed 
underperformed Wall Street. So the stock 600 actually retreated about half a percent while you managed to eke out some gains stateside. So a little bit of a catch-up trade perhaps taking place in Europe this morning as we brace, as you mentioned, for a big week on the central bank front. Not only do we have the Federal Reserve meeting, but the ECB, the European Central Bank, meets on Thursday, where the market is expecting another rate hike. And then we've got Bank of Japan coming up on Friday. On that note, we'll take a look at the Asian markets and see where things stand. Um, a little bit more of a mixed picture. You get the Shanghai Composite in mainland China retreats slightly overnight. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong traded marginally higher. The Nikkei 225 gained about 0.5%. Again, as investors brace for that Bank of Japan meeting coming up at the end of this week, Frank. So, Juliana, also, I know you're following some big news out of Switzerland. We certainly are. This story that uh, has taken so many twists and turns over the years, it is finally, so it looks, entering its final stage. UBS has completed its takeover of rival Credit Suisse. It comes as the company is reportedly set to impose stringent restrictions on Credit Suisse bankers. This is according to sources speaking with the Financial Times. UBS executives have drawn up nearly two dozen red lines outlining prohibited activities for Credit Suisse staffers, including a ban on new clients from high-risk countries and launching new products without approval from UBS managers. According, um, and, and so this is a big story that is de- coming to a close, it would seem. Clearly there is uh, concern around the culture and importing the Credit Suisse culture, which was so problematic in many ways, into UBS. So putting in some, um, some stop gaps to prevent that from happening. Now, Frank, I want to also mention, while I've got you, a story out of Italy. According to multiple media reports, including the BBC Silvio Berlusconi has died this morning at age 86. He was Italy's longest-serving post-war prime minister. He was plagued by multiple scandals and allegations of corruption over the years, but he persevered as a key political figure. He was not only a media mogul, football club owner, but he was prime minister of Italy four times. So some pretty significant news there. And we're going to be digesting and analyzing what this may mean for Italian politics throughout the coming week. Frank? All right, Juliana Tattlebaum, live in our London newsroom. Juliana, always great to see you. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Pippa Stevens, great to see you as well. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, Illumina says its CEO, Francis D'Souza, is resigning after losing the support of key board members amid his failed $7 billion deal for cancer test developer Grail and proxy fight with Carl Icahn. The company says its chief general counsel will serve as interim CEO while the board begins the search for a permanent replacement. The Financial Times reports that Elon Musk's refusal to pay Twitter's rent contributed to a surge in commercial real estate loan delinquencies at Goldman Sachs. Twitter stopped paying its rent back in November, and according to the FT, it does not intend to restart payments or cover any past due amounts. And billionaire hedge fund manager George Soros is handing control of his $25 billion empire over to his 37-year-old son, Alexander. In speaking with the Wall Street Journal, Alex said he is, quote, more political than his father and hinted at a significant financial role for the Soros organization in the U.S. elections next year. Frank? All right, Pippa, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right, back to the markets. Inflation in the Fed could very well determine the direction of the markets this week. The May Consumer Price Index comes out tomorrow just as the Fed begins its two-day policy meeting. Headline CPI's forecast to rise 4% year-over-year, down from a rise of 4.9% in April. Softer inflation, that could help the Fed justify skipping a rate hike this month. However, it is not a unanimous opinion. The CME FedWatch tool currently showing 
a 74 percent chance of a pause on Wednesday, but still a 26 percent chance of another quarter point hike. A pause also doesn't mean the Fed's completely done. The markets are currently pricing in a 53 percent chance of a hike in July. Let's talk more about this now with Annika Trion, chief economist at Van Schlott Kempen. Annika, great to see you. Great to see you. Good morning. All right. So let's talk about this. We've seen a bit of a rally in the markets. I'm just looking at the numbers right here. The Dow on a two-week win streak, the S&P we mentioned earlier on a four-week win streak, the Nasdaq doing the best on a seven-week win streak. How much of this rally is based on the thought that we're going to see a pause at the next meeting and maybe even a cut later on in the year? Yeah, well, markets, markets are indeed not only expecting a pause, they're actually expecting um, two times the rate cuts by the Fed this year i.e. going back to a much more dovish market environment, which, which stocks love. So that, that's indeed what markets are pricing in. And we certainly see risk there. So you see a risk in the fact that we may not get a pause or we may not get the cuts later on this year. Um, I think a lot of investors are trying to read the tea leaves. And the Fed honestly hasn't been that clear. They keep saying they're data dependent. We have CPI coming out on the first day of the meeting. How big of a factor will that be in the narrative when it comes to hikes, pauses, maybe even a hawkish pause? Well, Frank, that, that's quite scary, right, that we're, that we're curious about what the CPI prints will be in the same week that the Fed needs to make its decision. And the fact that it's so data dependent, especially short-term data dependent, raises a bigger risk, a bigger issue of what is the long-term plan here? And you're forced to zoom out in these sorts of situations. Otherwise, you're reacting to all sorts of knee jerks here and there. And if you zoom out the first level, you see that ultimately it all hinges upon the job markets. The strength of the job market has kept wage inflation strong, which has kept services inflation strong. And until you get consistent signals that that's under control, it's too early to expect a, a U-turn and a cut in rates from, uh, from our perspective. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the job market. A lot of people think that with such a job market, it means that we're not really headed towards a recession. On the other side, obviously, a lot of people believe that we're either in a recession or we're headed towards one. So we've seen the eurozone in a recession. At the same time, we're seeing China issue some very rosy outlook when it comes to its Q2 GDP. Do you believe a soft landing? Is that possible here in the United States? What are you expecting here in the United States? Well, this is a dichotomy that we're all being, we're all baffling with. And actually, it's just becoming quite exhausting. So look at the U.S. data. Look at the leading indicators. We've had more than 12 months of consecutive, consecutive month over month data that things are slowing down. You know, the inverted yield curve is getting more and more aggressive. So mathematically speaking, statistically speaking, you know, the likelihood of avoiding a recession is very low. But Frank, you could turn it around and say, who cares? Who cares if we reach that economic textbook version of what a recession is? Who cares if it's so widely anticipated because we've been talking about it anyway since, since October? What matters more for the financial markets is liquidity. And what matters more for the real economy is uh, the labor market and how strong consumers can continue to feel, yes or no. All right. Very interesting take there. Thank you so much for being here. Great to see you as always. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today. But first, Oracle earnings are coming up after the close, while my next guest says it could be the cheapest AI stock play out there. Plus, the Saudi energy minister defends this country's oil production cuts as oil extends a two-week losing streak. And then later, a Monday morning sector soared and prepping for a breakout, why industry headwinds facing communication services, why they may just be overblown. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a news alert for you. Reuters is reporting EU regulators are set to approve Broadcom's $61 billion deal for VMware. The clearance would be conditional and based on Broadcom addressing competition concerns. Looking at shares of both right now, Broadcom up fractionally, VMware down almost 2%. Broadcom, however, up about 40% year to date, one of the beneficiaries of this AI-fueled rally. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a first on CNBC interview, MasterCard's chief U.S. economist, Michelle Meyer, and the company's latest spending pulse report. Why sticky inflation is doing very little to stop the consumer experience spending trend. Worldwide Exchange, we are back right after this. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The price of oil under pressure this morning with WTI falling just below 69 bucks a barrel at 68.20 right now, down almost 3% and set to extend its two-week losing streak. Some of the headwinds facing oil this morning, Goldman Sachs lowering its price forecast for Brent by almost 10% to 86 bucks a barrel by year's end and pricing WTI to just $81. This coming after some Disappointing economic data from China last week that cast even more doubt about that country's recovery and future demand for crude. CNBC's Dan Murphy joins us now live in uh, Riyadh with much more on this story. Dan, what are you seeing and hearing there? Frank, good morning to you. Well, as oil prices slipped below 70 U.S. dollars a barrel this morning, I spoke with Saudi Arabia's energy minister here in Riyadh. This was an important interview. It was his first comment since last Sunday's OPEC Plus move to extend their production curve and Saudi Arabia's decision to deepen its own production cuts by one million barrels starting from next month. The prince told me that there's a pretty clear disconnect between prices and fundamentals right now. Listen in. The physical market is telling us something. I think the future market are telling us, is telling us something else. Uh, it's a matter of being in a state of readiness. That's why, you know, we keep taking these precautionary measures. It's part and parcel of what we call it proactive and preemptive. 
Overall, Saudi Arabia doesn't seem too concerned about the price declines, at least for now. Of course, the market is expected to tighten in the second half of the year. But front and centre here in Riyadh right now, Frank, is China. We've got investors coming into Riyadh, seeking to chase new deals here. And at the same time, remember, Saudi Arabia and China are critical partners when it comes to the oil trade as well. China, of course, being the largest consumer of Saudi oil and the largest consumer of oil globally. Of course, these two countries have become increasingly close over the last few months and years as they both face fractured ties with the United States. Interesting to watch. It's back over to you. Yeah, interesting to say the least. Our Dan Murphy live in Riyadh. Dan, thank you very much. All right, investors, they've been riding that white-hot AI stock boom, and they could be in it for a treat this afternoon when Oracle reports its fourth-quarter results. The company and its recent deals with NVIDIA, generative AI startup Cohere, and medical software maker Cerner is now arguably the cheapest AI equity play when compared to its peers. It trades at just 20 times forward earnings. NVIDIA, for comparison, trading at close to 51 times forward earnings. But you wouldn't know it looking at its latest earnings call, mentioning the phrase AI or artificial intelligence just 41 times compared to 52 times at Microsoft and 65 times at Alphabet. Ahead of the tape, the stock paints a pretty picture as well. Up nearly 64% over the past 12 months, better than Microsoft or Alphabet, it's also sitting very close to a record all-time high. Joining me with much more is Mike Merdler, Senior Software Research Analyst at A.B. Bernstein. Mark, great to have you here. Thank you very much. All right, so we, we kind of spelled out some of the things that are making this what was once an under-the-radar AI play, definitely more prominent in the mind of investors. So give us a sense of where you're sitting with the company. What's your rating? What's your price target? What are you expecting in this earnings report? Look, uh, Oracle is a... Uh, interesting stock. Many people for many years believed it was a laggard in the shift to the cloud, that it was going to be a net loser. The reality was very different. It was just taking them longer to move their workloads to cloud and to build out the infrastructure. And part of what they built out was um, what they called OCI Gen 2, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure Generation 2, which competes in the same market as Microsoft, Amazon, Google in terms of infrastructure as a service, platform as a service. We got an outperform on this stock. We really like the setup and the opportunity for the company on numerous levels, even excluding AI. OCI Gen 2 is it has not been impacted in the much the same way as Amazon and Google. In fact, the growth rate hasn't changed. It's growing 70%, um, much faster than its peers, um, off a much smaller base, but still it's very early in its transition to cloud, both in terms of infrastructure and platform, okay. as well as in ERP. Uh, AI know, is an interesting. Oracle well, has been an AI company. Sorry, I apologize. So, no, it's, Go you know, you're good, man. So I think I, I, I want to jump in here because I think you're hitting on a big thing here. Um, a lot of people feel like that Oracle could be a sleeping giant, but I think you hit on the really important part. Your research, other people's research shows it only has 2% market share when it comes to the hyperscaler market. But um, reports are that it's going to have a pretty big announcement on, on this report that it's going to be able to sell large language models through its partnership with a startup called Cohere and offer an open AI-like service to its cloud customers. Is that a game changer for a company like this? I think it's one of many levers here. From an investor perspective, it's more of a game changer. From a, from a revenue point of view, it's one of many levers. Um, the company has been investing in AI for a really long period of time. Their autonomous database, automation is all AI. Um, what have they done recently is they built out a really interesting cloud fabric to be able to deliver um, high performance artificial intelligence for the purposes of training up 
machine learning, large language modules, et cetera. They built this relationship with NVIDIA. Um, they have uh, the, the fastest of the NVIDIA chips available, a unique fabric connecting it, and now they're moving into the LLM space. So they're very quiet, quietly, and this is quiet for Oracle, that's a company traditionally never quiet about anything, very quietly preparing themselves to become what could be a meaningful player in the space, and it's in no one's estimates. All right, so you're saying it's quiet, but I think the big question for investors, if you don't mind, just give me a really direct answer. Is there a chance they could actually take significant market share from Google, which right now is in a distant third, about 6% of the market, or one of the bigger players, Amazon or Azure? So my current belief, it's going to be a big business for Oracle, but smaller than Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. That said, they keep surprising us with new capabilities and new offerings. So it is possible they take some share from uh, Google because they don't have a lot of the issues that enterprises are concerned about. This is an enterprise-focused company. They could do really well. All right, we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Oracle Share is up almost 4% in the pre-market. Something to watch. Mark Merler, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see if Oil's sharp move lower this morning changes the outlook for my next guest and his bullish outlook for the energy sector stocks. And one name in particular, he says, could ride at least 20 bucks in the next 12 months. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Extending their gains, futures are pointing to a higher open as the NASDAQ it rides its longest win streak since all the way back in 2019. And breaking out the best and the worst of the month-to-date rally, a Monday morning sector sort, and while the next two weeks could look very different than the first, plus sticky inflation doing nothing to stop consumers from spending on experiences. That's according to the latest MasterCard spending pulse. That's a report you will not see anywhere else except for right here on this Monday, June the 12th, 2023, and the second half hour of Worldwide Exchange. It starts right now. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for waking up and starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned, they are higher this morning. The Nasdaq doing the best out of all of them, up almost three quarters of a percent right now. But as you can see, the S&P and the Dow both solidly in the green. We're also looking at a new note from Goldman Sachs' David Costin, boosting the bank's uh, S&P target, year-end target, to 4,500 from 4,000, saying in part, quote, since 1980, the episodes of extremely narrow market breadth have been followed up by a catch-up and trade and broader valuation re-rating. So I want to clarify here, we're talking about the S&P's Year-end target, new one from Goldman Sachs, 4,500, the old one, 4,000. So you see a very bullish outlook when it comes to Goldman Sachs and David Costin. All right, now turning to the bond market. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year. Look at the 10-year at 3.75%, rising about 15, 20 basis points from the start of the month, depending on whether you're looking at where it opened or the low. Elevated rates when it comes to the two-year still at 46 we also want to look at oil. Our Dan Murphy just hit some of the pressures that are facing oil right now. We continue to see oil under pressure. WTI crude, the U.S. benchmark at about $68.35, down more than 2.5% this morning. Brent crude, just over 73 bucks a barrel, down two and a quarter. Natural gas, a very slight bump. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is back with those. Pippa. Good morning, Frank. A developing story this morning. The Pacific Maritime Association 
which represents terminal operators, says coordinated labor disruptions and union actions have forced it to shut down operations at the port of Seattle. But union leaders are pushing back on that narrative, accusing the port operator of, quote, leveraging one-sided information to influence the negotiating process, adding the ports are open for business. This is part of an ongoing labor dispute for a new contract between the ports and workers and is contributing to the longest labor-related port disruptions since 2015. Elsewhere, former J.P. Morgan Chase executive Jess Staley wrapping up his first weekend of testimony about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. This is part of a lawsuit alleging the bank enabled the late financier's sex trafficking and ignored red flags. And Novartis is buying clinical stage biopharmaceutical company Chinook Therapeutics for up to $3.5 billion. The deal will hand Novartis exposure to Chinook's pipeline for kidney disease treatments. Shares are up about 67% this morning. Frank? All right, Pippa, thank you very much. All right, turn our attention back to Wall Street. Markets are nearing the halfway point of the trading month. With the S&P 500 officially, it's in bull market territory after closing up over 20% from its October 2022 low. And it's not just tech driving the rally. The energy sector is up 6% just this month as it looks to recover some of its losses from earlier this year. A dimmer picture for the communication services sector. That sector, the laggard so far in June and up less than just 1%. We've got the full story on what's driving these sector moves. TD Cowan's Jason Gableman is here on energy. And Frank Luthen from Raymond James is covering the communication services sector. Jason, let's start with you. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So we're looking at some pressure when it comes to oil right now. But overall, you're pretty bullish when it comes to energy. Give us a sense. What do you see moving the energy sector higher despite oil trading at a one year low right now and pretty much it's year to date lows? Yeah, oil's at a one year low, but we'll say pretty healthy levels, especially for the super major energy companies. These these companies have been able to strengthen the balance sheet over the past couple of years because oil was so strong. In addition to that, they've taken a lot of costs out of the system the past couple of years. So they actually now run their businesses needing a lot lower oil price in order to cover the distributions to shareholders. They need probably something around $50 a barrel. And so they're trading at values that seem to be discounting potential for them to continue to return cash to shareholders at this pace. So they look pretty attractive here. All right. So it looks pretty attractive. So give us a sense. What's your price target for WTI and for Brent? And we just heard uh, from our Dan Murphy, the Saudi oil minister, hinting at more cuts ahead. How does that influence the twist and turns in this market? Yeah, we don't really have a price target per se. What we do believe is that OPEC will continue to be proactive and preemptive in managing the oil price. And we think $70 Brent is a pretty fair floor for the price. And once again, at those levels, there's really very little risk in terms of oil companies and their current shareholder and their current returns to shareholders. Companies like Chevron with nearly a 10 percent uh, shareholder return yield look pretty attractive here. All right. So you were kind of getting to some of your top picks. I believe Chevron is your top pick. Give us a sense of, of some other attractive stocks in this space. Yeah, we think the refiners have, have sold off given all the macroeconomic concerns and an underappreciation for refining margins likely being more durable than in past cycles. So companies like Marathon Petroleum, ticker MPC, is another one that we really like. A very strong balance sheet. In addition, 
um, to exposure to those refining margins that should continue to remain durable despite some concerns from investors. So we haven't talked about it yet, but give us a sense of what you think about China. Uh, so last week, some somewhat disappointing data. And then on Friday, they put out a very rosy outlook for their Q2. How does that influence this market? Yeah, so on China, we're seeing crude imports still relatively high, about a million barrels per day higher year over year. Um, so despite some of the future concerns of the macro, you're not really seeing that show up yet in real-time data uh, with respect to them importing crude. And even if you back out some China demand growth embedded in second half ba- balances, uh, the, the market still appears like it should be short the second half of the year. So despite some concerns around China demand, we still think the second half of the year is going to be constructive for oil. All right, Frank Luther from Raymond James, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. Oh, sorry, Jason, thank you for being here. All right, turning now to the sector lagger communication services, despite strong performance from meta platforms and Netflix, names like T-Mobile, Take-Two Interactive, and Electronic Arts, they're dragging the sector lower. Let's dive further into this with Frank Lawton, Raymond James Managing Director. I'm messing up the names, but Frank, great to have you here. Close enough. Good to be here. <laughs> All right, so give us a sense. Why is communication services a laggard right now? I'm looking at some of the stocks um, in this sector, looking at Verizon in the red, also looking at AT&T uh, trading lower. What's leading to these big moves to the downside for these big names? Yeah, the sector's been down for the quarter, uh, and, it's, and especially in the last uh, early days of June. Um, partially, it's been over fears over free cash flow. It's fears over, over some financing with Frontier. Um, but more recently, starting on June 1st, there was, a, there was an article about Amazon potentially entering the wireless market. We think those fears are, are really overblown. Uh, in general, if you look historically, Amazon doesn't do as well in, in when they get intermarkets that are, that are not as healthy, such as wireless. And we think the, the odds of that are low, plus the companies have all kind of denied that. But that did shake things up, right? So that, that hurts. And then particularly for AT&T, there were a lot of fears about their free cash flow after the first quarter earnings. We think that's overblown. We think that the free cash flow rebounds in the back half of the year, and it's a really good buying opportunity. And then if you look at another name that, well, you like a lot, Frontier, uh, it's been down lately on fears that the company is going to issue some securitized debt. Don't know what the pricing is. Uh, uh, with fears over, over a financing overhang, it's, it's dragged the debt down. We think that's, that's a really an overblown fear. We see them pretty well capitalized. They did lock in some additional financing for the rest of their build. Uh, that would be fine. And in the long term, they're creating a lot of value over the next several years by rolling out fiber where they're going to be able to take a lot more market share in broadband. And AT&T is doing something okay. similar. So if we look at both of those names, we think they're, they're undervalued. All right. So I just want to be clear. So Amazon potentially coming into this space, is, is it that disruptive? I mean, there's a number of, of mobile and wireless players and broadband players out there already. What would be so disruptive about Amazon potentially getting in? Well, the fears in the article that they would drop pricing down to some really low levels and it would take what's already uh, a very competitive business to make it worse. Right. But the issue is Amazon would need to get a network. The one that's obvious that would be out there to use would be Dish. Um, but their network's not really fully built out, and it'll only be 70% built out by the end of the month. We think that's that's less of an opportunity. And then when you have the companies flat out denying that that's going to happen, we think the risk of that uh, remains even lower. And so longer term, I think this is just something that's a headline risk, uh, and, and we get past that, and you can focus back on the fundamentals. 
names like AT&T that are performing well and continue to add subscribers, we think look more attractive. Okay, so those are the names you like. Um, give us a sense of some other names that you like. We've seen some big inflows into tech specifically tied to AI. How are investors viewing this sector? How are you viewing the opportunities? Well, it's definitely an opportunity, but as we always like to say, for telecom, the rate of change is slow. So there's definitely opportunity coming in for AI. It will push demand for all, for all sorts of things across the communication sector. You have to move the data back and forth on the networks. Um, so we think that's definitely a positive, but it's just going to take time. It's not, not quite like it is with some of the, the chip names and so forth that more directly benefit, but they're absolutely going to be players. And again, the extent that you are, you are building out fiber and broadband, such as what AT&T and Frontier are doing, you know, we think, again, that's, that's a, that is a beneficiary as people are using those networks more and more. All right. Thank you very much. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Thanks. Exchange, how are in-store and online sales holding up? A look at the state of the American consumer and where the impacts are being felt in the economy as MasterCard rolls out its spending pulse data. You're going to see it exclusively right here on Worldwide Exchange. That's coming up next. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with Morgan Stanley upgrading Sentinel One from neutral to overweight with a $20 price target. Morgan says, despite some recent missteps, it believes the market is now mispricing the inherent value of Sentinel One as a long-term share gainer and the potential for meaningful margin upside. Looking at shares of Sentinel One, up more than 5% this morning. J.P. Morgan upgrading Carnival Cruise Lines to overweight, raising its price target to $16. The bank says it's bullish on the current industry trends and sees zero signs of pent-up demand slowing down. Looking at Carnival, also up this morning, up more than 3%. And ahead of earnings, we've been talking about this stock all morning long. Wolf Research is upgrading Oracle to outperform from peer perform based on accelerating top and bottom line growth from OCI adoption and AI tailwinds. New price target, $130. Shares of Oracle right now up more than 3.5%. All right, turning now to the consumer. Out of a busy week of economic data, including May CPI tomorrow and May retail sales on Thursday. Despite ongoing worries about inflation, especially when it comes to very sticky food prices and housing expenses. New data out from MasterCard. It's showing the consumer is continuing to spend. Michelle Myers, the U.S. Chief Economist at the MasterCard Economics Institute. She joins me now in a first on CNBC interview to break down MasterCard's monthly spending pulse. Michelle, good morning. Great to see you. Good morning, Frank. All right. So I want to hit one specific data point with you. Restaurant spending up 17 percent. Should we take that as the consumer is just willing to continue to spend on experiences or were there some things in this month like Mother's Day and graduation that may be skewing those numbers higher? I mean, look, there's always things when it comes to high frequency data. So we always have to take that into consideration. But if you look past even just this month, the trend since the beginning of the year, or since even last year, has been this prioritization of experiences. And it has not let up. So we see that in this double digit growth in restaurant spending, in lodging, in air travel, and all kinds of travel. Um, so that definitely still seems to be an area where consumers are looking to prioritize their dollars. That's where their pent-up demand still rests. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out throughout this summer travel and vacation season as well. So we're anxiously awaiting that data. Yeah, one other thing I want to talk to you about is e-commerce. So we continue to see relatively strong e-commerce growth in these reports. Last month yeah. it was 13%. It's been pretty close to about 10% or just over every one of these months. How should we interpret this willingness of consumers to continue to spend online even with the stores back open? 
Well, I think they're doing both. Um, so we've seen some choppiness when it comes to the growth in e-commerce um, and in the growth in, in in store as well, but particularly e-commerce. Um, and as you noted, this month there were a number of special factors, including Mother's Day. So if you look at things like jewelry and online spending for some of those categories, they were notably um, strong. Um, but I think consumers are looking for a variety of different channels, right? So you are seeing e-commerce continue to look very strong coming out of the pandemic for a lot of categories, kind of accelerating the move towards online that we had seen prior to the pandemic. Other categories, like, for example, if you look at some retail stores, in-store has really come back in a meaningful way. So I think it varies by category, and it shows how consumers are just continuing to evolve coming out of this pandemic, their behavior, their preferences. And it's not over yet. I know what else continues to evolve, people's perception of what the Fed's going to do. So we have CPI coming up. When we look at CPI, um, what do you expect? And do you expect to see a a market uh, decline in inflation? Do you expect to see it still remain sticky in food and housing, as we just mentioned in the intro to you? So I'm going to pick all of the above because it very much depends on the category. So for something like goods inflation, I think last month was more of a fluke. So on a month to month basis, we're likely to see a reversal there. And the trend for goods inflation should generally be softer, given the dynamics that we're seeing in the market. Um, but for some of these other categories like shelter or core services or the super core that um, is being talked about there, it has been sticky um, and higher. And will be until you see that significant shift in the labor market, which clearly we have not seen yet when you look at the recent um, jobs numbers. So it depends on the category. Um, you're also seeing certainly some relief in terms of food prices now. I suspect that will continue. Energy prices are coming down. Um, and that should allow the headline and the core to continue to moderate. So headline CPI around 4%. It's not at target, um, but it's made significant progress from last summer where we were hovering close to 9% inflation. So when you think about what that does for the Federal Reserve, there's progress, but not necessarily enough. And that's what they're going to reinforce, I think, when they speak this week. All right. So I'm going to push you forward here. What are you expecting when it comes to this meeting? Pause, hawkish pause, increase. And then also, how does that impact the consumer? If we see another rate hike, we've talked about how stretched thin the consumers become using credit more and more. How do you see that impacting consumer spending? Well, I think the latest buzz is skip, right, for the Fed. Um, and I think that's been, you know, very consistent with their communication, which is that, you know, they want to take a moment. They want to take um, time to assess what's happened of late, particularly when it comes to the flow of credit and the cost of capital. Um, and that's, I think, what we're going to hear from Fed Chair Powell is that they are looking at all sources of data, whether that's their primary data sources or on the labor market inflation and other measures, right? Looking at surveys, looking at this flow of, of credit, access to capital, um, how much interest rates are actually transmitting into the economy, and that they're going to be flexible, right? Um, which means that they can hike again if they think that they're not making enough progress towards the dual mandate. So I think in this meeting, they're very much going to be leaving their options open along with this skip. All right, Michelle Meyer from MasterCard. Great to see you. Thanks for bringing that spend and pulse data. You got it, Frank. Thank you. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. But first, June is Pride Month, and CNBC is celebrating all month long, sharing stories of corporate leaders with you. As we head to break, here is Barry Bootcamp founder and CEO, Joey Gonzalez. I grew up gay and Latino 
in a very homogenous part of the United States. And I was definitely uh, made fun of, left out. But what that did to me was it really fueled the fire from within uh, and inspired me to want to grow up into an adult that built a community and a culture of inclusiveness at Barry's. Uh, and I feel like that's living proof, A, that adversity can fuel greatness, and B, that it's our will and our spirit that dictates how we handle the deck that we're down. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up, six stories you need to know before the opening bell. UBS says it has formally completed the takeover of Swiss rival Credit Suisse, totaling a $1.6 trillion balance sheet and a workforce of 120000 The combined company will report its first consolidated results in August. Billionaire hedge fund manager George Soros is hand- handling, handing control of his $25 billion empire over to his 37-year-old son, Alexander, who told the Wall Street Journal that he is, quote, more political than his father. Microsoft is moving some of its best AI researchers from China to Canada in a move that threatens an essential training ground for the country's tech talent. According to people familiar with the matter, the switch could affect up to 40 workers. Officials say repairs of the collapsed I-95 overpass in Philadelphia will require a lengthy repair process, and it could take months after it was shut down early yesterday morning. Former Disney executive Michael Eisner is seeking a buyer for Bazooka Candy Brands after owning it for more than 50 years. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Eisner is aiming for a price tag of about $700 million. And breaking news this morning reports Silvio Berlusconi, Italy's longest-serving post-war prime minister, has died at the age of 86. Berlusconi first became, came into office at ni- in 1994 and led four governments until 2011. Silvio Berlusconi is now dead at 86 years old. All right, getting ready for the trading day ahead. There are three big interviews you don't want to miss here on CNBC today. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon will join Sarah Eisen exclusively from the Forbes Iconoclast Summit at 10.15 a.m. Eastern time on Squawk on the Street. Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio will also speak with Sarah from that summit at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Then Bertha Coombs talks with Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan in an exclusive interview from the World Medical Innovation Forum in Boston. That's on the exchange at 1 p.m. Eastern. All right, we have another news alert for you this morning. The Wall Street Journal says the White House plans to let top chip makers from South Korea and Taiwan keep and expand their existing operations in China without facing any sanctions or penalties. According to the journal, some analysts are concerned the move could weaken U.S. export controls designed to slow down China's technological advancement. All right, turning our attention now back to the broader markets, which are coming off a positive week. The S&P 500 posting a fourth straight weekly gain and just brushing off its highest point since last August ahead of the key CPI report tomorrow and that Fed decision on Wednesday. Let's bring in Surat Sethi, managing partner at Douglas C. Lane and Associates. He's also a CNBC contributor. Surat, it is great to see you. Good morning. How are you doing? All right. So, Surat, a lot of people have been worried about the narrowness of the rally in the market. This morning, we're seeing Oracle ahead of its report expected to make some AI announcements, uh, pushing the Nasdaq futures even higher. Um, are you concerned about the narrowness of the rally? And do you believe what we're going to see potentially from Oracle could keep this rally going even longer? So, yeah, yes, I am. I think, you know, having seven or eight stocks uh, basically be the market uh, is not good for the overall market. We need broad based participation. So if you look at other sectors, whether they be the value sectors like financials or industrials, 
uh, staples, even the defensive sectors haven't done well. So for us to see the market take another leg up from here, we really need those sectors to do well. Uh, and valuation matters too. I mean, if you take out again, the top seven or eight stocks, the, the, the market multiple is, is much below where it is uh, today as well. So I think we need some digestion here and we need, uh, you know, some of the soldiers to start actually doing well as opposed to just the generals. <laughs> Well, sir, I'm not sure if the market agrees with you. Again, going to NASDAQ futures up a half a percent right now, leading the other two. But with your philosophy in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? Diversification. I think it's really important not to fall in love with just the leaders. History has shown you that if you just stay with only the leaders for, for a long time, uh, you, something will happen and you need to be in areas where there's opportunity. So, to that point, now, you know, healthcare is really cheap. I mean, you look at companies like a J&J or a Bristol-Myers, uh, or even if you look at companies that, that have come back, like a Thermal Fisher, I think there, there's a lot of opportunity there. Not to say you don't have to own the generals. I'm not saying that at all, but just be careful as to how much of them you own and what size. I mean, we own Google in size. We own NVIDIA, uh, Microsoft, all great companies. Oracle is the top holding as well, and I think Oracle – has finally got the the recognition it needs. Let's see what they have to say for uh, their call. But relative to the other generals, it's still cheap. So definitely opportunity in technology, but look elsewhere uh, because you do see some fair and reasonable valuations there as well. You know, Sarat, really good point. We highlighted earlier, Oracle trading at about 20 times forward earnings compared to NVIDIA, more than 50 times forward earnings. Got to look ahead, CPI and the Fed. What's your take on this? Do you believe we're going to see a pause, a hawkish pause, a rate increase? And what do you think about the rest of the year? It seems like the markets are pricing in a pause right now and maybe even a cut later on this year. I think a pause, uh, but I don't know if we're going to get a cut. I think, as we know, it's lagging. So as some of the data comes in, inflation is still strong. Uh, we see inflation carrying through for the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, there could be a potential raise down the uh, down the road, but I don't think you're going to get dovish commentary. I think you still have wages high, you still have costs going up, uh, and demand is still strong, whether it be in services, you know, airlines, hotels. So I don't think the Fed's going to give you anything dovish. Uh, if anything, they're going to say, "Hey, we're in a wait, wait and see period." That doesn't really bode too well for for high growth stocks that have less cash flow than some of the other cash flow stocks. So I think we're in that position where. Uh, you've got to be careful. I definitely think there are opportunities, but uh, right. I don't think we're going to get a cut at the end of the year. So, Sarah, you're saying there could actually be one more hike later on this year. So very quickly, give us the data point you're watching that could lead that to happen. Is it wage growth? Is it job growth? Is it CPI? I mean, what is it that may have the Fed say, you know what, we need to raise rates just one more time? So definitely wage growth is going to be important. And part of that is a subset of CPI. So both those as we go forward as to kind of what normalized uh, inflation is going to be, not the one-offs. I mean, we already see energy come off, but I think wages are going to be really important. I mean, the Fed wants to make sure that demand is brought down, and with that come the costs of inflation. All right, Sarat, thank you very much. Got to leave the conversation there. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Right, one more news alert for you right now. NASDAQ reportedly agreeing to buy Adenza, which makes software used by banks and brokerages for about $10.5 billion dollars. If this deal is completed, the Adenza deal will represent the biggest acquisition in NASDAQ's history, looking at shares of NASDAQ down about 2%. The Wall Street Journal says the seller in the transaction is private equity firm Toma Bravo, which is poised to get a large stake in NASDAQ as part of that deal. NASDAQ CEO Adina Friedman will be on Squawk, later, Squawk Box later today to discuss the deal. Again, looking at shares of NASDAQ right now, down just about 2%. 
All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At one year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia.